Put on, therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, a heart of compassion, kindness, lowliness, humility, and perseverance, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. And any man has a complaint against any, even as Christ forgave you, so you also do. Colossians 3, 12-13 Dear Lord, what a compelling call to action for how we should interact with the world around us. We are so deeply grateful to be called your chosen people, holy and dearly loved. May we fully understand the weight of this identity, recognizing that it calls us to live out these virtues in our daily lives. Equip us, Lord, to clothe ourselves with compassion so that we may feel deeply for those around us. Instill in us kindness to uplift the souls of those we encounter. Grant us humility as well so that we might place others before ourselves. And lastly, gentleness to navigate our relationships with grace. And most importantly, Lord, teach us to forgive as you have forgiven us. Remind us of the boundless grace we have received so that we might extend that same grace to others, even when it's difficult. In adopting these virtues, let us be compelling witnesses to your love, grace, power, and mercy, attracting others to the saving knowledge of Jesus. It's in your powerful name, Lord, we pray. Amen. Welcome to Pray News, where hope is our only bias. Today's news at a glance, Pope Francis is dropping some controversial bombs at this year's Synod of Bishops. The Biden administration is forgiving over $9 billion in student loan debt, and the House of Representatives is in disarray after ousting Kevin McCarthy. How do we navigate controversy? Well, today's stories definitely have some controversy. Well, first and foremost, we must remember that reasonable, well-meaning, and Christ-loving people can disagree on a lot of different topics. Oh, how we wish the Bible could tell us the exact right thing and the exact wrong thing in every single circumstance that comes our way. But the Bible doesn't give us the right answers to every one of life's tests. However, the Bible does teach us how to live and to act like Jesus in a diverse set of circumstances, how to take on the character of Christ, show his attributes in a world that is dying and in need of love. So, how people approach that may vary. We want to approach controversial topics with some grace, humility, and understanding. May we cling to the truth as much as possible, always being gracious in disagreement, and exercise humility in every single circumstance. We're so glad you're here. We pray today's take on the news leaves you informed and transformed. If you've been enjoying this podcast, consider leaving us a review. We would love to hear your thoughts and how this has positively impacted you. Before we get to today's first story, let's hear a word from these sponsors. The Catholic Church, known for its long-standing traditions and deeply rooted beliefs, finds itself at a crossroads as Pope Francis kicked off the three-week General Assembly of the Synod of Bishops on Wednesday. Gathering church leaders from across the globe, this assembly, sometimes called the Super Bowl of the Catholic Church, promises to be a historic but contentious one. Before the Synod even began, Pope Francis made headlines early in the week by opening the door for the possibility of the Catholic priests blessing same-sex unions. The pontiff stated, however, that these blessings should not elevate same-sex unions to the status of heterosexual marriage, a sacred sacrament of the Catholic Church. This statement alone has stirred a whirlpool of reactions both within and outside the Church, igniting conversations on Catholic doctrine, inclusion, and the role of church in the modern world. This year's Synod is unique in many ways. 
Not only are hot-button issues like the marriage of priests, communion for divorced and remarried Catholics, and female deacons on the table, but this gathering also marks the first time that women and lay people have been allowed to vote, though still predominantly attended by bishops who make up 80% of the participants. The change is considered radical and points to a shift in focus from hierarchy to the greater flock. The Pope's openness to dialogue about same-sex marriage and greater inclusion of women in leadership has not gone without controversy and debate. LGBTQ organizations have welcomed the Pope's change in tone regarding same-sex blessings, stating that it states a move towards greater inclusivity. But on the other end, conservative church members and leaders have criticized Pope Francis for diluting the church's doctrine and sowing confusion about where the church stands. The Pope's actions have galvanized both progressives and conservatives, and the atmosphere is thick with both hope and apprehension at these moves. On one end, Pope Francis's more inclusive stance has been seen as a monumental step forward, but on the other end, conservatives argue that these changes risk creating schisms and undermining the essence of the church that has been preserved for two millennia. One of the Synod's most outspoken critics, American Cardinal Raymond Burke, cautioned against the Pope's vision of synodality and his broader reform agenda stating they seemed more political and human than ecclesial and divine. This sentiment echoes the fears of conservative factions within the church that worry that the church is straying too far from its doctrinal foundations. As the world changes for the better and for the worse, so do the challenges that institutions like the Catholic Church face. Balancing compassion for fellow humans with conviction of scripture is a tightrope that has been walked for centuries. Pope Francis's recent actions are an illustration of this ongoing balancing act. The Synod of 2023, already proving to be a fulcrum of change, represents both an opening and a question mark. What will the final outcome be? It's too soon to say, but the discussions happening now will likely echo for years to come. In a rapidly changing cultural landscape, the tensions and debates within the church serve as a microcosm for broader societal conversations on inclusivity, tradition, and moral authority. As the church seeks to navigate these complex issues, Christians worldwide are reminded that the journey to reconcile love and law, tradition and change, is far from straightforward. But it's a journey that must be taken with thoughtful steps and open hearts. In all things, may we strive to be more like Christ. What does that mean exactly? Well, it means striving to love and serve everyone, no matter their past or no matter their affiliation. But it also means standing for truth, fighting against injustice within a religious system, and setting our feet firmly on the word of God, even when culture presses against us. It's a lot. Let's pray for discernment, unwavering love, and faith that isn't tossed to and fro by the waves of culture. With all this being said, let's pray. Lord, as for this gathering of the Catholic Church, and as it unfolds like a divine drama, may your wisdom guide the Church through its tumultuous chapters. Let dialogue be heartfelt, decisions be grace-filled, and may the Church be both a beacon of unchanging truth and unconditional love. We know that both can be balanced because you did so, Jesus. You are the author of truth and love. You alone are able to give us conviction and compassion. May we balance all of it, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. In a move that has both critics and advocates of student loan forgiveness rubbing their eyes in disbelief, perhaps for different reasons, the Biden administration announced the cancellation of, ready for this, $9 billion in student debt of 125,000 Americans. 
This forgiveness program comes at a time when student loan repayments are recommencing after a three-year hiatus, reminding millions of borrowers that their educational dreams come with a hefty price tag. Now that we've recovered from the initial shock or elation, depending on your perspective, let's delve into the specifics of this plan. The Biden administration is targeting three main categories of borrowers, public servants, those enrolled in income-driven debt repayments, or IDR plans, and disabled borrowers. The first group is public servants. Around 53,000 borrowers are set to receive a collective $5.2 billion in debt relief. Those eligible are involved in public service loan forgiveness programs, meaning they're employed in the government or nonprofit sectors. In simpler terms, we're talking about your friendly neighborhood teachers, law enforcement officers, and social workers. They're going to get some student loan forgiveness. Two is IDR enrollees. Approximately 51,000 borrowers in IDRs are up for a $2.8 billion in relief. These plans tailor monthly payments to individual incomes. And here's the kicker. Due to bureaucratic snafus, some of these payments hadn't been accurately tracked. The Department of Education is doing a little spring cleaning to rectify this oversight. Better late than never, I suppose. Three is disabled borrowers. An additional 22,000 borrowers with a total or permanent disability will have $1.2 billion in debt discharged. This forgiveness is a result of data matching with the Social Security Administration. The timing of this forgiveness is noteworthy. It comes in the wake of Supreme Court's 6-3 ruling against Biden's plan for broad-based student loan forgiveness, a plan that would have affected more than 40 million borrowers. That must have been a bitter pill to swallow for the administration, keen to make good on its campaign promises, especially with another election cycle peaking over the horizon. Yep. Joe Biden campaigned fervently on student loan forgiveness in 2020. With repayment resuming and murmurs of issues with loan servicers, the president finds himself between a rock and a proverbial mountain of debt. He's clearly feeling the heat to fulfill his pledges and keep his voter base content. Meanwhile, there's a looming prospect of another plan for student loan relief via the Higher Education Act. According to the administration, this could take a minimum of one year and might also invite legal complications. Yet, as the U.S. Secretary of Education Miguel Cordona stated, the ultimate goal is to fix a broken student loan system. Let's attempt to examine this controversial issue from a Christian worldview. We find the notion of debt forgiveness is actually rooted in biblical principles. The Old Testament, for example, discusses the year of Jubilee in Leviticus, where debts are forgiven and slaves were freed. It was a part of the rhythm of Israel to forgive debts. But it's also crucial to remember verses like Proverbs 11.15, which advises caution in guaranteeing that debts will be forgiven, underscoring the importance of individual accountability and responsibility to our decisions. The Biden administration's move can be seen as an extension of compassion and social justice. However, it also raises questions about responsibility and fairness to those who have labored to pay off their debts. And are they going to be the ones to pay off with their taxes, those who haven't paid off their debts yet? As believers, we are called to both mercy and accountability, and both can be held in tension during this time. In a world craving simplistic solutions, the complex issue of student loan forgiveness serves as a reminder that we are all navigating the murky waters of justice, mercy, and personal responsibility. And as we debate and discuss the merits of such policies, may we be guided by the wisdom and balance that Scripture provides. With this being said, let's lift the story up in prayer. Lord, as the debate over student loan forgiveness swirls around us, grant us wisdom to discern what is just, merciful, and responsible. 
help policymakers make decisions that embody compassion without sacrificing personal accountability to our decisions. And in these financially fraught times, may your guidance light the way for both individuals and nations. It's in Jesus' name we pray and trust. Amen. In the hollowed chambers of Congress, leadership is never a given, but a constantly shifting mirage. Kevin McCarthy learned this the hard way as he was unceremoniously ousted from his position as Speaker of the House, leaving the Republican Party scrambling like children in a game of musical chairs, but considerably less laughter, joy, and childlike innocence. It's a rather dark game, really. Let's rewind for a second. Kevin McCarthy was removed by a 216 to 210 vote, marking an epoch of intra-party dynamics. McCarthy's ouster was a feat of political engineering that, until recently, seemed to only exist in Hollywood scripts. It involved a blend of maverick Republicans, all Democrats, and what some might call an ever-so-slight appearance of unity, quote, between opposing parties. The dislodged speaker's final words on the ordeal changed the rules, spoken like a true philosopher. On the flip side, Ohio Representative Jim Jordan has thrown his hat into the ring, waving a banner of strict border security, fiscal discipline, and committee work as his qualifications. He's already bagged a few endorsements from colleagues. Jordan could be considered the darling of the conservative wing, but his appeal among more moderate Republicans remains an enigma wrapped in a riddle. The specter of Republican Matt Gaetz's successful motion to vacate the chair hangs ominously over whoever is going to take on this role as the speaker, like a parent wielding the threat of a timeout. Several lawmakers are now demanding that this rule be amended, a prudent action perhaps, considering how it enabled a small minority to overturn the existing order. A house divided against itself cannot stand, especially when any single member can take a sledgehammer to the walls whenever they want. Notably, the ousting of McCarthy also opens up questions around the policy, most prominently Ukraine aid, which now seems stuck in a murky water of party politics. McCarthy was allegedly trying to blend border security measures with Ukraine aid, and whoever sits in the speaker's chair next will have to navigate this geopolitical minefield. While this recent event can be termed nothing short of political drama, it serves as a stark reminder to our representatives. You're there to serve the American people, not a faction, not a party, but the collective citizenry of the United States. Bitter divisiveness and constant infighting only perpetuate the paralysis in Washington. The coming election cycle will undoubtedly be shaped by these events, making it all the more important for Republicans and Democrats to choose their next speaker wisely. Your constituents are watching, and they expect you to do what's right for the American people, not what's convenient for your respective cliques. From a Christian viewpoint, this episode calls to mind the teachings of Jesus about unity and love for one another. Christ himself prayed that his disciples might be one as he and the Father are one in John 17. This is a lesson not just for those in the pews, but for our representatives as well, many of whom claim faith. A house divided against itself cannot stand, and a party divided against itself risks rendering itself more ineffectual than it already is. Unity is not about uniformity. Not everyone needs to be the same and has to agree on every single thing. But it's about coming together, in spite of differences, to serve a common purpose, one hopes, for the greater good. And in this case, it's for the good of the American people, the constituents that put them in office. So, as Republicans regroup and the nation watches, we pray for wisdom, integrity, and above all, unity. For a house, a party, or a nation can accomplish incredible things when it stands together. With this being said, let's close our time together in prayer. 
Lord, in the theatrics and tumult of American politics, grant our leaders the wisdom to govern wisely and hearts to remember that they're servants, not just to a party or a faction, but to the American people. Bestow upon them the spirit of unity without diluting the diversity of thought that makes democracy tick. May they remember that true leadership isn't about sitting in the biggest chair, but standing for the greater good and perhaps getting off your chair to wash the feet of those around you. We love you, Lord, and we trust you in these times. Would you make us servants of those around us and give us humble hearts in the midst of controversy? We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today on Pray News. It is our aim to be informed and transformed. We pray today you would proceed with hope, love, and determination to be a force for good. If you've enjoyed this take on the news, consider writing us a review and share your experience. You can sign up for our newsletter at praynews.com. There you'll find sources to all of our reporting. And be sure to download the Pray.com app to make prayer a priority in your life and experience the Bible in new, cinematic, and exciting ways. God bless.